late last fall, when it was time to take the two pumpkins off our front stoop, we decided to leave them in our little garden and try to compost them. And over the winter, the pumpkins got softer and flatter, and their color went from a bright orange to a light salmon. In the spring, we broke them up with a shovel and dug them into the soil. We planted carrot and pepper seeds, and before they sent up shoots, two pumpkin vines popped out. Our garden space is really small, and so I moved one of the vines to a sunny spot in another part of the yard where the soil had not been so well prepared. For a while, both grew well. We watered them, and we were impressed with how much they were growing, but I forgot to water them before we went on vacation. So, I'll show you what I found when I returned. This used to be a very large green pumpkin leaf. And the rest of the vine looked very similar to this. But then there was the other vine that was in the garden that was well prepared. And while it's a little droopy now, I cut these both this morning, you can see that it's a large and healthy pumpkin leaf. Well, when Jesus is talking about restoring relationships among people who gather as a church, he's telling us how to prepare the soil and to nourish our relationships with one another so we can enjoy life like this one and not wither and die like the brown one. Jesus didn't intend to establish the Christian church. He was trying to reform his Jewish faith. And in Matthew 18, Jesus is laying a foundation for how Brothers and sisters are to act with each other when we disagree. Many of us tend to run from conflict, but conflict is inevitable in any good relationship. Billy Graham's wife Ruth once said, if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. She was talking about their marriage at the time. We will have conflict, and Jesus teaches us how to deal with it maturely. He says, if another member of the church, now this is a, an inclusive, updated translation. It's Adelphos in Greek, brother, brother or sister. But we understand what he's saying. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. I read the story about a large church where the minister of music rushed into the new senior pastor's office and began complaining about the the minister of education. The string of complaints was long, but the new pastor called for a halt until the minister of education could be summoned. Once he was in the office... The pastor asked the minister of music to continue his diatribe. 
He refused. All right, said the pastor, you two step into the hallway and thresh this out. If you can't reach an agreement within 15 minutes, I'll have to let one of you go. In five minutes, they were back, and both were smiling. A lot of our willingness to resolve conflict has to do with motivation. How badly do we want to resolve the conflict? It may seem easier to just let it go, because if you like people, it's hard to tell them that they offended you or that they hurt your feelings. Too often we don't think of the long-term effects of not resolving conflict. We think about what seems easier at the time. We don't think ahead to the image of the two pumpkin vines. If we deal with the conflict when we recognize it, then we'll have a healthy plant, a healthy relationship. If we don't, the relationship could wither and die. Jesus did not avoid conflict. He seemed to relish it in some cases. And I don't think he would have too much patience with those of us who do avoid conflict. Do we feel too weak to face someone else with our feelings? Jesus has promised us his presence. He'll give us the strength. And with our willingness to restore the relationship, we can do the hard things, like address another person one-on-one and tell them how we feel. Those of you who may have had some counseling or have studied will know that it's best to remember to not accuse someone of making you feel a certain way. You made me feel belittled, hurt, offended. That's too aggressive. It's too accusatory. They did not make you feel that way. That's just how you felt. God made us with emotions, and we might as well experience them fully. So in a conflict with a Christian brother or sister, as in any relationship, claim your feelings. After you explain what the other person did, use the first person singular. When you said X, I felt belittled, hurt, offended. Jesus wants us to be who we are, to nurture our relationships and help them to grow so we can enjoy the fruits of them later on. If all goes as hoped, the relationship will be restored. And good relationships bear fruit throughout the congregation, not just among those two people. But Jesus recognizes that sometimes that doesn't happen. And thankfully, he offers us a second step to take. Bernard Brown once worked in a hospital where a patient knocked over a cup of water on the floor beside the patient's bed. And being afraid that he might slip on the water if he got out of bed, he asked the pressed the call button, asked the nurse's aide to clean it up. The patient didn't know it, but the hospital policy said that small spills were the responsibility of the nurse's aides, while large spills were the responsibility of the housekeeping staff. So the nurse's aide decided the spill was a large one, and she called the housekeeping department. 
The housekeeper arrived, and she declared the spill a small one. An argument followed. It's not my responsibility, said the nurse's aide, because it's a large puddle. The housekeeper disagreed. Well, it's not mine. The puddle's too small. And the exasperated patient listened for a moment and then took a pitcher of water from his night table and poured the whole thing on the floor. Is that a big enough puddle now for the two of you to decide? It was. And that was the end of the argument. Jesus teaches us that the plan to go one-on-one with your opponent, if that fails, a third party can help resolve a conflict. Bring in one or two witnesses, he says, and try again to restore the relationship. If that doesn't work, go public. The church is worth continuing to pursue restoration until we run out of options. When we go public, before we try the other two options first, in order, it increases the discord, it increases the anxiety. Go back to the motivation question. How badly do we want to have a healthy congregation? Is it worth, then, the comfort of walking through Jesus' steps and addressing the issue so the whole church doesn't wither and die like that pumpkin leaf? This is a timely scripture for us to hear because we have to be aware that Mark Duvall's departure is going to create anxiety and conflict. Any change to the status quo creates anxiety and conflict. Besides all the incredible talent we experience at worship on Sunday mornings and the time and effort that Mark puts into that to create it, he does all kinds of things behind the scenes. He unlocks the church on Sunday mornings. He solves computer problems in the office. He's the go-to person when I'm away. Any change to the status quo creates anxiety and conflict. And this is a timely, a timely scripture passage for us to hear. On this Labor Day weekend, we are reminded that good relationships take labor. They take work. If we want Calvary to be a healthy church, then we will respond to Jesus' prescription for good health. Thomas Brooks wrote, Labor mightily for a healing spirit. Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another, this is unnatural and monstrous. Responsibility for restoration does not belong to the other person. It belongs to us. We have to accept that burden of responsibility. Someone wrote about something called Toomey's Rule, which is, it is easy to make decisions on matters for which you have no responsibility. Jesus has placed the responsibility for a healthy congregation into our own unworthy, dirty hands. He knows this, and yet he entrusts us with the church. 
The Apostle Paul later affirms that we, the church, are the body of Christ, just like the puzzle that Diane was showing the children. When one of us suffers or when one of us is not there, we all suffer. And when one of us rejoices and is present, then we all rejoice. We are interwoven with each other. And so it will do us well to speak the truth in love, as we're told in Ephesians 4, and be willing to be responsible to offer ourselves and our thoughts and our feelings to another person and be willing to forgive. I liked what Charles Hambrick Stowe writes about this passage. He said, If we in the church do not forgive and heal, who on earth is going to do it? If the church, even just two or three believers, will agree in Christ and speak, seek prayerfully to do the will of God, then God will respond. The church will really be the church because Jesus will be present. The Lord's Supper is all about restoration. As Jesus and his closest friends remembered the Passover and escape from Egypt and their restoration to the Holy Land, Jesus established for us another way to remember how God sustains and strengthens us by gathering around a table and sharing the bread and the cup. Let this be a time for forgiveness and reconciliation, a time to wipe clean the ways that we have been offended and release to God any of the grudges we've been holding. With his strength, Jesus gives us strength to labor toward health and toward joy.